The Beat Church in Pflugerville, Texas. Bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. different aspects of our life, but that's what we talked about last week was the devil. If you want to get a full, you know, kind of dive in on that, go back and listen to the message. This week we're talking about another enemy that's seemingly maybe even more powerful than the devil, and that enemy comes in, and here's some things that, that this enemy appears to accomplish, at least from what you would hear from others. The enemy is so powerful that they are the driving force behind discouragement, depression, shame, anger, Deep life-controlling wounds, steals our happiness, drives us to make horrible decisions, fills us with anxiety, and drags us into sinful choices. Sounds like a pretty powerful enemy, right? Sounds terrible. Who is this enemy? Anybody want to take a guess? Just a shout-out. Who would be so powerful besides the devil to accomplish this? Other people. You know what? That is who gets the blame for this, is other people. And we hear all the time, well, this person in my life causes me all of this pain. This person causes me all of this anxiety. This person causes me to be discouraged. This person causes me to be bitter. This person is why I have an addiction. This person. Well, who? Well, that person. That person. It's someone else. And this started all the way back in Genesis with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve fell into a sin. God came down to find them, and they were hiding, and they were in shame. And God said, what happened? And each one's like, that person, that person, even the devil's like, that person. And so it becomes this kind of circle of accusing and pointing blame towards other people or other situations of why we can't have peace. Now, sometimes we do that because we simply don't want to take responsibility. That's very active, kind of a rebellious thing. Like, I don't want to be, it's their fault. Sometimes we do it simply because we don't understand the victory that God's given us in his word. And so we really think and feel like that person's actions have caused my life to be impacted this way, and there's nothing I can do about it. It's the way I was raised. It's because of an abuse in my past, and I was abused as a kid. So I know some of the struggles, some of the pains that come out of that. There's things that happen in life, and we say, well, it's because of this, because of that. And that might be just because we don't have an understanding of God's word, but God wants to bring freedom today to people who don't have an understanding of his word. And God wants to bring conviction to people who have an understanding but still want to point fingers and, and point away from themselves. And so let's get into this. It says, uh, we're going to go Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 to 15. This is what God says about blaming and fighting with others and pushing things away. It says, pursue peace with all men as well as holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Be careful that no one falls short of the grace of God so that no bitterness will spring up and cause trouble that will defile many. So God's saying when we point outward that it's their fault, their fault, their fault, it's because of this situation, because they're against me, it causes us to then have this offense and bitterness because we've fallen short of the grace of God, which has come in both to heal and to set us free. We've fallen short of that. Bitterness comes in, and then it grows like a root, and it defiles many people. It just begins to spread out like a vine into different areas of life and bring destruction. When I was a kid, we were landscapers. My dad, that's what my dad did for a living the first part of growing up, and then eventually he had another business. But for years, we were landscapers. 
and they would send us in all the time. We lived in the Northwest, and one thing that grows in the Northwest is vines. Vines, blackberries, raspberries, anything that crawls and grabs onto things and wrecks them, that grows all over the Northwest. And so you would go in to try to fight those things back and try to cut them back. And if you went in and you wanted to take out just some ivy, which is very common, you'd go in there and you'd cut it all down to the ground. You'd come back, I don't know, a few weeks later, and guess what's already coming back? Ivy. There it is. If you wanted to cut back blackberries, then you either had to buy a goat that would just eat blackberries 24-7 to try to keep them back. But if you just want to cut them back and get rid of them, you cut them back, you'd come back a little while later, and guess what's growing again? Blackberries are coming right back. The only way to cut them back and keep them back is to dig down and get the root out. And so what the Bible's talking about here is this destruction that keeps creeping out into all these areas of life doesn't just come from a feeling of bitterness, but a root of bitterness. It's something that's being held on to. And God wants us to take that out and to actually give it to him. Not just say, Lord, I shouldn't feel that way. I'm sorry. Help me to forgive. But no, to go into that situation that hurts so bad and say, God, this situation was awful. It wasn't fair. It hurt me. It changed my life. It altered the way I think. It destroyed a relationship. It ruined my family. It broke my confidence. God, this situation is painful. But still, I'm going to take it. I'm going to give it to you. Because out of my holding on to this situation, all of these things keep growing out of it. All of these different dysfunctions and pains and, and addictions and hurting and hiding and accusation and all these things keep growing out that are unhealthy. So Lord, I'm going to give this thing to you. Now here's something that will keep us from doing that. Is a lack of trust in the Lord. Well, how can I say that? Because when we take something that we believe should have a consequence to it, and we give it to someone else, we're trusting them. If we hold on to it, we're saying, you know what, at some point, I can bring a consequence. Or I can do one just by being bitter or by being angry. But when we take and give it to God, we're saying, Lord, we trust you with this. Whatever you see fit, whatever you want to do, even if that is, God forbid, that he forgives them through the cross, the same cross that saves us that God may want to do that, but it's taking it out and giving it to him and letting him free us of it. But that blaming of others, God's plan is for us to live in community. The first thing in Genesis that God said was not good was that man would be alone. Everything else was good. This is good. This is good. The animals are good. The sun is good. The earth is good. Everything is good. And then he gets to man. He makes man. That's the first thing that he said when he made people. He said, that's very good. It's going better and better and better. And then he looks down and sees that man's by himself. And he says, you know what? It's not good for man to be alone. Now here's the question. Was man alone when God said that? Was he really alone? Because who was there the whole time? Who's speaking in that verse? God. So man was with God when God looks down and says it's not good for him to be alone. But God never leaves us. God never forsakes us. God is right there. So what's he talking about? He's not just talking about alone. He's talking about without other people. He needs to have other people, others that are like him, others that are like her. They need to live in community. Now, why would God mess up a perfectly good relationship with other people? I mean, think about it. Has anybody just ever had terrible times when it's just you and God? 
most of our troubles in life come once God does this thing of like inviting other people to the party. Like this was really good. And then you added these other people and now I don't even want to be here anymore. Has anybody ever been to a party like that? Or has anybody ever got invited out to dinner by somebody or got invited out to lunch or invited to a movie or invited somewhere and you go there thinking, oh man, it's me and their special time. And you walk in the door and there's a bunch of other people. And you're like, wow, this wasn't a date at all. <laughs> this was a party. And then the disappointment or the frustration, or you thought, oh, I'd get to sit that close to him and somebody else sits in that seat. And now the next thing you know, you're at the far end of the table and you thought you were like, going to be able to spend time with the person that invited you. It was going to be about just you and them. That's what's happening in Genesis. As God's looking down, he's already got man there, and he's already there, and he says, you know what? This is great, but watch out. I'm going to do something even more awesome. I'm going to invite more people into this, and they're going to produce people, and then guess what's going to happen? All those people are going to be messed up. Why would God do that? Why would God wreck a perfectly good relationship with other people? Why would he do that? There's answers. Actually, we're dismissed. Go. <laughs> Think about it. There are answers. Keep reading. Romans chapter 12. Let me tell you, this gives us some of God's plan. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing, and perfect will. This verse, and it's going to go on. I'm going to read a little bit more of it. But this verse is saying, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed into what? Into being like God. How can we be like God if we don't have to go through any of his experiences? How many of you have felt and experienced God's forgiveness? That's a pretty powerful thing, isn't it? When it's real and you can feel it. I'm not talking about just the forgiveness that you read on paper. But when you know you've screwed up, messed up, broken something in life, and you go to God because you need his forgiveness, and the weight and the shame and the discouragement and the condemnation is all over you, and you feel heavy, and you don't want to get up in the morning, and then you don't want to go to bed at night, <laughs> because no matter what, you just feel the weight of it, and you go to God, and you say, God, I got nothing to trade you for this, but man, I need your forgiveness. And then his presence comes down and touches your heart. And you begin to cry and you get emotional. And by the time you're done, making a mess of yourself, hopefully by yourself, sometimes in a room with other people, crying, weeping. When I really came to the Lord, that's how it was. I spent about 40 minutes just bawling in front of about seven or eight guys. Just snot was literally just coming out of my nose. I couldn't breathe. I'm hyperventilating. All these things that were on me just were, God was forgiving and taking off. I'm just crying confessing all these things and asking forgiveness. But if you've ever experienced God's forgiveness, you know how powerful it is. How can you become more like God and grow in maturity if you never have to forgive? Other people are how we learn how to forgive. It's part of how God works. God calls people into our life that he knows are messed up. He knows that they'll hurt our feelings. He knows that they're going to 
betray us or hurt us. He called someone into his own circle. He called Judas Iscariot into his own circle that he knew would betray him. God calls people and he allows people in that he knows are going to cause frustration or pain or hurt in our life. And part of that is because it's the process of becoming more like him. You know, the Bible compares us that we are clay and that he's the potter. Well, what happens with clay? With clay, as it's built and moved around and everything's done to it, eventually it's put in a hot fire to finish it. God puts us sometimes through hot situations that are uncomfortable, that they hurt, and they involve other people, and it's not to break us or to hurt us. It's to make us stronger, not stronger in bitterness, which is actually weaker. If something dries wrong and it's got a fault in it, guess what happens? It cracks. We're not talking about that kind of hardness. We're talking about one that comes by God working through forgiveness and taking the us out of us, so that it's all him holding it together. Colossians tells us that everything is held together in him. So he wants to hold us together. And he does part of that through teaching us to forgive through others. It goes on in verse 9. This is Romans 12. I'm skipping a section where it talks about our gifts. Um, but it's, it all flows together, but it talks about our different giftings and our abilities. And we've talked about that before, and we know that. But this is flowing from the same thought and the same message. He says, love must be sincere. This is God's recipe. This is God's plan for how we deal with all of these things coming in from other people in our life. He says, love must be sincere. So here's, first of all, love them sincerely. Well, how do I know if my love's sincere? Your love is sincere and godly love if it's not contingent upon what they can do for you. That's how you know. How do I know it's sincere? Well, I love them, and I didn't get quite the love I wanted back. Okay, how many of you have ever had a kid, you don't have to raise your hand, but have ever had a kid that was in your home that did something terrible and awful to break your trust or that ran off and did terrible things or stole from you or hurt you or called you names, but you still loved them? Okay, that's love that's sincere. It's not a love that has to do with what you can do for me. It's a love that is permanent. It won't change. I love you. There's a great video that was on uh, online just a couple days ago of a, of a coach in Portland. Portland's where I grew up, but a coach in Portland where a student came in to the school with a gun to shoot the school up. Did anybody see that video? Comes in to shoot it up. The coach at the school talks the kid down, gets the gun from him, hugs him, and he literally hugs him the entire time until the police come. And then the police took him out. That's powerful. But it was a love that was sincere. It wasn't about disarming, because disarming would have gotten the gun, gotten the damage, gotten the weapon, gotten that thing that was dangerous away, and then slammed that kid down, put his arm behind his back, got the cops there, and then been the hero. But it was love. Love disarmed, a threat, and just continued to love. So it's saying love has to be sincere, not because of them, but because we're loving as God would love. So that's, first of all, it has to be that way. It says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love. You only need devotion when there's a reason not to stay. That's what devotion is. I'm devoted to it. Well, what's that mean? That means when it gets hard, I'm here. When it's good, guess what? I'm here. It's devoted. So we're devoted. 
the implication is that something's going to get hard. I'm going to get hurt. Now, my choices are, as I read at the beginning of this message, that I can go and say, well, that hurts me, that offends me, other people are, are wrecking my life. Or I can say, do you know what? This is an opportunity for me to become more like Jesus and learn what it means to stick through and be devoted and love someone even when it hurts or it takes commitment. This is what he's talking about. If you've been married, you've been offended. Because you live too close to each other not to be offended. Not because you have a bad spouse. Because you're close enough to see the flaws. One of the problems with 4K television Okay, that came out, literally. The Hollywood actors and actresses were just in an uproar after 4K actually got released. You can read articles on this. Because it was so clear, you could see that they were flawed. The old cameras hid that, and they just were all gorgeous and handsome. Now all of a sudden it's 4K, and you're like, wow, I can actually see the makeup covering that entire face, like four inches thick to make them look that way. And people were like, whoa, this is too clear. I don't want to be seen that way. Well, when you get so close, it becomes so real that you see the flaws in the people around you. That's when love kicks in. That's when devotion kicks in. That's what it's talking about. The devil would tell us to run away, but when we submit to God's plan and we stay in and we love, right, we can actually get past those things. It says to love one another even and to honor one another above ourselves. Do you know what? You're more important than I am. I want to help you more than I want to be helped. You need, so I'm going to give you what I could have had. It's honoring and the lifting up of people. Well, why does that matter? Well, who's ever been hurt because someone else got the credit? Well, the Bible says not to even wait until someone else takes our credit, but to go ahead and just give it away. They can't take what you already gave them, right? Well, they stole that from me. That was my credit. I'm the one that put in all the work. Well, you can't steal it if you already let him have it. And that guy helped me on the job. He did a great job. You know what? This guy helped me set up today. I mean, I set up 94 chairs, and he set up four. But you know what? This guy helped me set up, man. I appreciate him showing up and helping me. That's four more than somebody else did. So why can't I give him credit for helping me? Right? See, if we give it away, it can't be taken. And then I can't be offended. I can't be hurt. Because I've already passed it on. It says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. You only need hope if you're in a dark time. You don't need hope when everything's going good. Because you already got good. Right? If I already won, I don't need to hope I win. I already won. It's over. Hope implies that you're in a tough spot. Patient in affliction implies that you're going through something that's very difficult and persistent. That's what affliction is. It persists. It continues. It doesn't stop. It keeps on bothering me. But we're patient. These are things that we learn in relationship, and God designed it that way. So it's not that other people are against us. If we realize that other people are actually what are being used by God to help mature us and make us more like him— then even the things that people come against us with or that they really do to hurt us or offend us or bother us can become part of the thing that we're joyful for because we understand, God, you are making me more like you, and this was a piece of it. Well, my dad was an alcoholic. Not joyful for that or thankful for that. 
now God can use that to help you to be a better dad and to look at your kids and say, do you know what? This is what happened in my life. But now not only am I able to not do that and to love you, but guess what? I can teach you forgiveness because I've experienced forgiveness and I've forgiven my dad. It starts to get deep quick. It's like when you go swimming and you walk out and you're like, well, how, how far is it until it like goes into my back and like really gets cold? Well, it's just about that, <laughs> that far and it's gone. If you start to actually do what God tells us to do, you get swallowed up real quick. But guess what goes away when you get swallowed up? Anybody ever been in really cold water? And inched your way out, inched your way out, inched your way out, and this other crazy dude just comes out and just jumps in. <laughs> Fifteen minutes later, you're still like, this sucks. And he's out there backstroking, spitting water in the air, playing with his kids. If you just get in, the discomfort and the pain goes away. But sometimes we try to wade so slowly into the things that God prescribes as solutions. Well, I can't forgive him for everything, but I can forgive him for this little piece. I'm just going to try it out. Don't waste your time. Because you're only in so far. It still hurts. It's still painful. Just jump in. God asks us to get all the way in. That's the first verse right there. Verse 1, it talks about, it says, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Guess what's consistent with all sacrifices? They're completely consumed. There's nothing left over. So God's saying, give our whole self to the ways that he wants us to do things. Don't leave anything left over. Give it all. Going on, it says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Wow. Bless not your friends. Bless those who not only hurt you in the past or offended you in the past, but persecute you. Persecute you is present tense. It's happening right now. This person is currently bothering you. Bless them. Well, I don't want to do that. Bless them. What are you doing? You're transferring that situation over to God because you're in faith saying, Lord, I'm doing it your way, now it's your problem. You figure it out. You deal with them. I'm going to love them because that's what you told me to do. I'm going to bless them because that's what you told me to do. We're not being the victim anymore. And that's how we get to victory. It says rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. It's funny with kids sometimes, like, they always want to hang out with the kids that are a little older, right? Anybody have kids like that where they're like, they want to hang out with the kids that are a little bit older? Like, ooh, this kid like, like hang out with me and they're, you know, 11 and I'm only 8. Or they're 15 and I'm only 12. You know, or they're 18 and I'm only 16. Or they drive and I'm only, you know, it's like just a little older. But then when you have other people come around that are younger and you say, hey, go hang out with them for a while. They're like, I can't hang out with them. I'm 12 and a half and they're only 12. Like, they're way littler than me. They're like six months left. I'm almost 13. You really want me to do that? Yes, go hang out with them. We always want to associate up. And it starts even as kids. We have this battle with associating down. What did God do for us? We have no relationship with God unless he associated down. And so God will put people in our lives, around our lives, 
that when we see them, our flesh, our natural way of thinking, our natural person is like, I don't want to. They're below me. In status, in money, in maturity, spirituality, physical fitness, whatever. They're just, they're lower than me in some way. So I don't want to do that. God, I want to hang out with better people because you're moving me forward. The path of the just grows brighter and brighter. God, you're making me more awesome. I want to be around more awesome people. And God says, no. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. This isn't about you. This is about God, about God reaching into people's lives. Continues to go on. Don't repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. Even the burning coals on their head, that's really a sign of the Holy Spirit. That's what the symbolism is there. You know, it's not actually the symbolism we think of. Oh, cool, I'm going to be kind, because then God's going to like literally like burn them up, destroy them. The coals of fire are a symbol of, of the Holy Spirit working in someone's life. And God's saying, you know, if you will love them, if you will feed them, if you will pray for them, if you will care for them instead of getting busy, frustrated, or angry, that I will send my spirit to begin to work on their heart and on their mind. I'll bring change. And so our battle is not with other people. Our battle is with God's word, and whether or not we want to line our life up to God's word and allow him to worry about the things that are going on around us, and we just do what he's asked us to do. Can you imagine if, as believers, that was really how we all lived? That we literally loved and preferred others, we were kind to everyone regardless of position, that we forgave, that we prayed for our enemies, that we helped people that couldn't pay us back, that we lived this out, our struggles with other people would go away fast. Even the people that have hurt us, that bitterness that holds us would go away quick and release and free us to just live in what God has for us. We don't want to go by the pattern of the world. I'm just going to list a couple things here, and then I'm going to have Donnie come up, and we're going to sing a song together as we pray. Here's how God works in order to just turn the light on in us. God wants to get out the world. He wants the world to see Jesus shining through us. Is that if we will do these things and allow God to work, is it gives us a deeper revelation of who Jesus is. Because we're actually walking out, we're going, oh, this is what it means to forgive. This is what it means that God forgave me because I'm forgiving. This was hard. Jesus literally wept. He sweated blood in the garden before he went to the cross. Like, it's hard to go through forgiveness and, and deal with people's sin. I'm experiencing it. It allows us to understand him better, to know him better. It takes us through the process to become more like him. It gives us peace because we've entrusted everything into his care. Like, really done that. And that's what God wants to do in us. How do we do this? Because, well, I've tried. I don't know how. We don't. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Here's the key. It's in Psalms 23, 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So amongst all the other people that are hurting me, or have hurt me, or are against me, Lord, you prepare a table right here in front of them. And then check this out. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Is that God will fill your cup up 
I'm going to show you an example. I actually saw this one when I was in California. But I'm going to show it to you guys. When it talks about a cup, how do you fill a cup? If I want this filled and you're pouring me a drink, how would I do it? How would I hold it? Would I hold it like this? Would I hold it like this? A lot of you live like this. Upside down and closed off. Not to get hurt. Some of you live like this. Sideways. Because you're trying to pour out into everybody else and hope that they pour back into you. What God says is, come into his presence and let him fill you up. What happens? God's love is so huge, so abundant, so extravagant, so much more than I can contain, that if I put my cup underneath his love, what happens to it? It's going to overflow. Now it goes out and loves people. We're not called to love people from us. Because that empties out real quick. And they can never fill us back up, even if they try, because it just runs out. We are called to get into God's presence, to abide in Him, to allow Him to work in our life. And as we do that, that He begins to overflow out of our life and into other people's lives, and they begin to experience God's love. That's His plan. It's in His presence. It's in our personal walk and relationship with Him that we are empowered to live this out. Otherwise, this is a maddening, ridiculous concept to love our enemies, to forgive people that have hurt us. It's totally impossible and totally insane. It makes no sense. But when we come in and we let God flow into us and come out, He begins to do the healing and begins to take care of the things around us. Amen. Let's stand to our feet and get into this song. We're going to sing through I Love Your Presence, and then we're going to dismiss after that's over. But I just challenge you, as, as Donnie leads us in this, whatever you are holding on to about other people, or if you've been trying to please other people and get their love back in return to fill you up, just turn your cup upward. Just as we sing it, let God fill your heart and let him flush everything else out. And let him fill you up. Amen. In the glory of your presence and I find a rest for my soul in the depths of your love and I find peace makes me whole I love I love and I love your presence I love I love and I love your presence I love, I love, and I love you, Jesus. 
pray, Lord, that this week as we go out, God, remind us, Lord, that you are the source. God, Lord, that it's your presence, God, that powers our purpose. Father, that we need you, God, in our life, Lord, not just in an abstract theological or mental way or religious way, but in a personal way. God, in a real way. Lord, I pray that your love, God, would be all week to sit, Lord, thick, Lord, on people's lives. Lord, in their mind and in their heart, Father, there would just be an overwhelming sense, God, of your goodness. Lord, that they would see all of their circumstances, all of their situations, all of the people around them, Lord, not through the lens of their own ability or their own life or their own struggle, but, God, through your love for them and for those around them. God, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, guys. Thank you for being here. Outside, I'll just tell you this, on one of the tables out there, there's a sign-up to volunteer. There's different categories. We need people to serve and volunteer in all kinds of stuff. So if you want to serve and volunteer, whether it's in a ministry or in outreach things or whatever, look for it on one of the tables out here. Sign up. We'll get you involved because the work that God's doing, right, he does through serving. That's how he does it. And so thanks for being here. I love you guys. Have a good week. the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.